Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Okay, hello world. It's your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Scott Sigmund, back to host another episode of The Ortho Show. That's right, hashtag follow the fro, still coming at you from the master bedroom closet studio. Uh, we have a special guest on today, uh, Danny Goyle, who's an orthopedic surgeon, got himself an MBA as well. He is the CEO of Precision OS. He's the clinical associate professor at UBC, University of British Columbia Department of Orthopedics. Uh, he's an underachiever when it came to his shoulder uh, achievements, so he decided to do a fellowship with George Athwal up in Ontario. That wasn't enough. Then went to Mass General Hospital, where he did another shoulder fellowship with, I'm assuming, Larry Higgins and J.P. Warner. Danny, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Scott. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, that's awesome. So we love stories of innovation and ideas and coming up with stuff that other people haven't thought of. And so just so everybody knows, Precision OS is, uh, you'll tell us about the company, but basically it's a virtual reality process where you can now educate residents and doctors on surgical techniques without screwing up on the real thing. So tell us how, how you got here and tell us the story. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, no, thanks, Scott. So the the moment didn't happen in one instance. It was very organic and thinking. My my plan was never to obviously start a company or be an entrepreneur. That was never the initial thought. It always was to provide, you know, the highest quality patient care. And so when I started practice back in 2010 in Vancouver, I started looking at my own practice and looking at how people access physicians. And I wanted to find a way because patients would get frustrated after waiting several months to see me for a problem that I couldn't solve. It was usually a non-surgical problem. So I went down this pathway of saying, you know, maybe we can create an app that we could give to patients or family physicians here in Canada so they could help triage patients. And that actually led to a very unexpected meeting with our one of our other co-founders, Rob, who comes from the game development world. And I started talking about this idea and, you know, I said, you know, patients are frustrated and I think there's a better way to have, get them access to people like us what do you think about all this? How do I how do I go about doing this? And he introduced me to Colin, which is our third co-founder who was doing some work in VR. Now this is going back to 2016, which is you know a lifetime ago in software. And so Colin invited Rob and I over to his place, and I put a headset on for the first time, and it was connected to this fancy computer and these base stations, which no longer exist. And I was absolutely mesmerized by the experience. I'd never experienced anything like that before, and I thought. You know, I think we might have something here that we should explore a little further. And that's the story. And then after about nine or 10 prototypes, we're where we are today. 
So basically, what you're telling me is that there's hope for my children who sit around <laughs> on the sofa all day long, gaming left and right. That there may actually be a productive way in which they may have gainful employment. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, sure is. No, that's actually really cool because you know the game. We've always said it, right? I mean, arthroscopic surgery is uh, is not an easy thing to learn. Mm. For example, I mean, I know you have the the standard surgical techniques as well, but if you think about arthroscopy in particular, you're you're looking at a two dimensional screen and trying to envision a three-dimensional zone and convert that to what you're seeing on the screen. And, and it's e- it, for some people, it's easy, but for others, it's quite difficult. And what I found in the, in the time that I've spent with teaching, which we've done a fair amount of, people are either really good at it or, or not, and there's somewhere in between. So it's awesome that you uh, – there was a great announcement today. I was uh, just so happened I was just rolling through LinkedIn today like I normally do, and there it was that – ConMed and you guys are some sort of a partnership where your arth- arthroscopic virtual reality platform is now going to be available. Tell, tell, talk to us about that. I think it's really exciting. Yeah. So I think to your first point, Scott, the learning that we provide our residents, there's a big, there's a gap there. And you're absolutely right. Is when we are thinking in surgery. So when we see anatomy in surgery, we're not thinking what we see about what we see. We're actually thinking illustrative anatomy. So if I'm doing a shoulder replacement, I'm trying to visualize where the axillary nerve is. And I'm trying to force the residents to think three-dimensionally where the axial nerve is. Now, when we started creating this concept, we thought, how do we bridge the gap between people's conversion of a 2D model into a 3D model? And that's where VR really plays a role. And arthroscopy is identical in that, you know, when I talked to, so we built a hip arthroscopy module as one of our modules in collaboration with ConMed. And when I talked to some of the hip arthroscopy surgeons who do a lot of revision cases, I asked them, you know, what are the issues with hip arthroscopy, it's, it's happening a lot, but you're doing a lot of revision, so we're missing something. And they said something very interesting to me, which is that there's always this gap of either over-resecting or under-resecting a cam lesion. And I said, what do you think that is? And, and they said, I also, they also said the same thing, which is there's a gap in understanding where that three-dimensional orientation of that cam lesion is. So that's something we can address now in VR. We can actually refine people's mental models by allowing them to pull a bone out of the body that has a pathologic lesion and really understand what it looks like, put it back in the body, burr, pull it back out, and then help them refine that as they go through the learning process. Yeah, I mean, that's that's remarkable. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an old school dude. You know, I started my training in, in 95 uh, or actually 1990. And, you know, it was just reps. I mean, that's how you got good at it. There was no we didn't even have, you know, cadaveric, you know, labs that were available. There's That's much more prevalent in the last decade or so. So this really changes the paradigm on teaching, not just for residents. I mean, you know, there are so many new operations that come out that, that have, I don't, I think at this point, there's not a single operation that I do anymore that I specifically learned in residency 25 years ago. So if you want to maintain your ability to be state of the art and the new techniques, you have to learn this stuff. And, you know, you talk, we talk about George Athol, you talk about the axillary nerve. It's one of my all time. He's, he's yeah. the, he's the smartest, sweetest guy on the planet. And it's like, here you are, you're like dissecting out the axillary nerve and the artery. You're so scared and nervous. It's like, he's like singing, you got this. You're like so good. Look at you. <laughs> you found the nerve. I mean, it's like working with George is always such a pleasure. I'm sure you had yeah. a, had a wonderful year with George. Yeah, sure did. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so yeah, so, you know, I went out and I went, I learned arthroscopic ladder. I was on with Matt Ravenscroft, la- you know, for last week. And I think about all the time and energy I put into it. How cool would it have been to be able to have a virtual reality process to be able to really analyze that? Have you done, have you done the, the protocols now for, for knee and shoulder as well as hip or? Yeah. So we we're trying to cover basically every single aspect of orthopedics right now from pediatrics to spine. And I think that each of them have their their nuances and learning that are very unique to that specialty. You know, a good example would be uh, the pediatric hip. So if you do a slipped model, a slipped epiphysis, everybody has to create a 3D 3D model based on an x-ray because we never get CAT scans on a slip or very, very rarely for obviously reasons. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so that's something that the pediatric world takes a lot of value in. They put a lot of stock in this technology where you can actually pull this out. Now the, the, the slip epiphysis, understand what a mild, moderate and slip looks like, and then decide where you're going to put your pin. So, right. yeah, no, that, that that's great. And I mean, I, it's funny because, you know, I'm the chief medical officer and, and founder of OrthoLaser. We're right. franchising across the country. And for us, you know, we had to throw some money in the pot for some lawyers to start a corporation and to get our franchise disclosure documents together. But it wasn't a lot of money. It was reasonable. And my partners basically own the rights to the laser. So we own the technology. We didn't have to do anything there. That's great. This, this has got to be expensive to, to sort of, how did you start? Did you, where did, where'd you get seed money or where's the money coming from? And, and are, are your, is your cash burn pretty significant as you're rolling out now? Yeah, it's a good question with respect to how we got started. So, you know, one of the organizations that we pursued early on was the AO Foundation, and everybody knows the AO. And at that time, they were looking at VR as a, you know, potential for offering a different mode of education to keep current. And so they they looked at the VR companies and they decided to partner with us and they actually invested in us, uh, which is public knowledge now, just over $2 million. And that really helped us get going. And so that's where the development started. And, you know, development, I would say, it's actually getting cheaper to do because we're learning things that we obviously over the last three years have learned significant amounts where that productivity is increasing and the cost I would say is decreasing. So it's actually, it's, it's a process that's going to just get quicker, faster and cheaper over time. So, so where are you penetrating right now? Where is your business model? Where is your expansion? How's this thing going to roll out? Yeah. So we are focused on the orthopedic space. I think it's an important uh, approach that we've taken, you know, being an orthopedic surgeon myself and having that domain expertise is one of the things that I do and that I do with our team is everybody has to now think like an orthopedic surgeon. So, and that's really important because when you start branching out in different specialties too early, well, when you take a non-medical person and you're talking general surgery, then you're talking urology, then you're talking orthopedics, it's very confusing. I would say we're, we're diving into too many specialties, but now if you were to come to our office in Vancouver, Scott, and talk to one of our developers, they start asking you questions about the total knee that you would think you were talking to a surgeon, mm. you know, or they are, at least they're having that, they have that mental, that elevated level of thinking in orthopedics. And so that's our target. And that has been our target for the last uh, a year and a half. Now, so, with, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I was just, just going to say, now that we've kind of branched into arthroscopy, which is a huge breakthrough in my mind, because now you can take this little, this little contraption and have it in your backpack and you can learn how to do a scope for a shoulder, hip, knee, learn basic skills. The natural extension of that would be into other specialties now. So general surgery, endoscopy, urology, ENT. Yeah. So I'm getting old. Okay. And I'm getting tired. 
And is there any chance that I'm going to be able to do any of this surgery from my closet right here instead of having to drive all the way into the operating room? Do you have a Wi-Fi connection? Of course. <laughs> then yes. <laughs> no, I mean, for real. I mean, there's been some talk about, yeah. you know, especially in, in the Army, you know, moving the, the mobile hospitals up close to the front lines and being able to keep the surgeons back, but still being able to have sort of robotics or the ability to perform surgery from a distance. Is that a, is that a reality? Yeah, I think we're a little bit away from that, but I think that's where things are headed, where, you know, as long as there's a safe mechanism in place by which if there's an heir who manages that locally, I think that's probably where this is going somewhat, where you can actually do some element of remote care. You can provide remote secondary opinions right now. So that would be the natural extension of all that. So literally you put on your virtual reality glasses. Was it an Oculus platform? Is that what you guys use? That's what we're using, yeah. Yep. And so you put on your, your virtual reality glasses and then you got these two circles or things in your hands. They represent the instruments that you're using. And you could literally be sitting down anywhere in the kitchen, flip the switch on, and you can stop, start operating. Yeah. So you stop our, start operating in our virtual patient or virtual OR. And that's a, that's absolutely amazing. And is it like, are there, is there a progression? You know, you start with a basic knee arthroscopy, then you can do an ACL or a meniscal repair or all that stuff. Yeah. So we've embedded layers of challenge into our, into our models. And so you can actually have, you know, an assist on mode where you get kind of guided through the procedure, but then we still allow you to fail in that environment because I think that's important. One of the things that we really sort of focused on early on was, you know, we learned from our failures. I think that any orthopedic surgeon uh, would know that when you see a bad x-ray or you have a bad outcome, you learn from that. But what we have in orthopedics in real life is this delayed gratification or delayed learning, where if you develop an infection in a total shoulder three months from now, it's impossible to look back and say, I wonder what I did during that case to make that or have this happen. Or if, let's say you have an instability case after an arthroplasty. But if we give you that information, right away, which is called formative assessment, that's really powerful for someone who's learning how to do a procedure. And, and so, so, who, so who plugs that information in? There must be a professor behind the scenes that is sort of there watching or, or, or is it recorded? How does that process happen? It's all automated internally. So if, if you cut the MCL, we'll tell you. <laughs> I love it. It's like I have one of one of my partners is a board examiner, and yeah. one of his favorite comments is, "I'll never forget it." The patient was the, the doctor was plating a, a humeral uh, shaft, and so he says, "So what about the radial nerve?" And the response from the the, the student or the, the the doc that was tra- taking the test was, "Well, you know, if it's got to go, it's got to go." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's not exactly what we're trying to do here." But that's so so when you hit bad stuff, it's like operation. You know, you hit the little metal thing and you get zapped instead of like. But at least you're getting feedback, virtual feedback as you're going along. That's very cool. Yeah, it's a really it's a really powerful way to learn. Actually, learning from your mistakes immediately, as opposed to in the delayed fashion. So, who's buying this stuff? Who how how are people getting hold of this? So we have uh, we have several medical institutions that are using it in their residency programs, and then we're aligned with several medical device companies who are using it to not only train their their staff but also using it to train surgeons. So, ConMed as an example of one who's starting to roll this out to help train their surgeons who want to learn how to do hip arthroscopy. And that's a that's a significant proposition for them. 
No, that's feed the tuna mayonnaise. That's one of those those great moments where everything comes together and it's perfect. And uh, you know, I think that it's it's interesting because our world's changing, right? Do you remember back in nineteen when we used to get together and go to society meetings and go out to dinner with each other and shake each other's hands and learn stuff? Uh, not so much anymore, right? Such uh, a long time ago. Such now, a long time ago, back in yeah. nineteen. And uh, so, I mean, we're going to have an issue here right now. You know, I, I do a lot of consulting work for a number of different companies and, and they're, we're, you know, I'm talking to them on a daily basis. How are you messaging? How are you getting your market out so that people understand what you have, what's new and what's different? And so how do you see, to me, this seems to dovetail in very nicely in a post-pandemic world where you're trying to educate message and, and change things. So, I mean, have you seen a, a significant increase in demand or, or, uh, or, or market share that people are looking for at this point? Yeah, I would say that we've seen an interest in both demand and interest uh, from using this technology for all the reasons you mentioned. At the end of the day, though, I, I will say, though, Scott, is that this type of learning is very different than cadaveric learning. Because we've taken a normal specimen and tried to teach somebody how to perform in an abnormal situation. So the model of learning is entirely, is somewhat, not somewhat, it's extremely different than what we've been historically used to. And so that, that whole task training is what sort of I refer to when I think of our model is when you do the hip arthroscopy module, and I hope you get a chance to do it, we actually want you to put the hip in traction, which you can do because guess what? We're timing that experience for you. And we know one of the complications of hip arthroscopy is, you know, neuropraxia on the pedendal nerve, which is, is a really bad complication. So if you're not paying attention to those peripheral things, that's where we make good surgeons, I hope, into great surgeons, in addition to teaching them arthroscopy. You know, I agree. There was a great paper out of HSS that just talked about uh, complications associated with ACL surgery and time. So I think time is really a major player in, in, uh, in efficiency and outcomes for patients as well. So I think that's a that's a great learning lesson. I mean, I uh, I can't uh, I can't imagine how something like this should not be incorporated, you know, at the society level for a number of our, you know, all the societies across the board, right? Because we've talked about arthroscopy, but, you know, you can do the anterior approach to the hip and using manual dexterity with eye-hand coordination, understanding that anatomy uh, really makes you, you know, really better before you even hit the first patient. Right. Yeah, great, great, great stuff. Really amazing. So one of the things that you guys quote, and, I, and I'd love to hear about it, is that you, you describe yourself as scientifically validated and peer-reviewed. Right. So tell us about that. Yeah, so that's a really exciting area for me. You know, one of the things I learned from my mentors is uh, if you have a product, you have to have good science behind it. And so we pursued a, we did a randomized control trial with the Canadian Shoulder Elbow Society in Calgary a few years ago. And the purpose of that study was to A, remain as arm's length as possible from the evaluation. So we took senior residents and we actually had them do a procedure in VR, which in this case was a gland exposure, and then compared it to a second group of residents, senior residents, reading the same procedure in a PDF. And then we had them both go to the cadaver lab, assessed by members of the society who had no idea what uh, procedure or how they learned. And then they were evaluated, as we usually do, with technical skill, OSATs, but then we also had them ask questions during the procedure. And, you know, the VR group outperformed the non-VR group. These are senior residents. And that, that type of research, I think, was really powerful. And that got published in JBGS just this past year in March. But then we repeated that study comparing it to video because we watch a lot of videos as we learn as well in surgeons. And certainly the results 
which we have with a publication right now waiting for final comment on publication. But it showed a very similar result and then some, which I can share with you offline. Yeah, that that's awesome. So, you know, it, it just seems to me, what's the unit cost? Am I allowed to ask? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, it's 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 less expensive than what you would pay for most models of simulation. I would say it's it's a fraction of the price. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you not incorporate this directly into our residencies? And then I see this, you know, for all of the the meetings, we will get there. We're going to vaccine. We're going to get some treatment. We'll be able to communicate and, and meet with each other again. But I mean, how is you, you need this as part of any training for a surgical intervention? In addition, it, it works well with the cadaver, as you just talked about, you know, be able to virtual go to cadaver and then do your video study and then be able to incorporate that into clinical practice. I think this is something that uh, is absolutely here to stay. And my kids who are listening are thrilled to know that <laughs> gaming has real world applications. How about that? Yeah, there you go. I think to, you know, the answer to your question or to your comment about how is this not adopted? I think as, as physicians, we generally are naturally critical of most things. And I think that's actually protective for our patients. So when someone comes in and presents with A, we think it might be B or C. And so this technology is viewed a very similar way in that I would never say that this is there to replace something. It's right now meant to augment something. But as soon as we can show enough good quality evidence to say, listen, this is actually a superior product compared to a conventional way of learning, I think that's when things will, the, uh, the paradigm will shift. You're doing good. I mean, you started this in 2018. Is that correct? Uh, officially 2017. We had our first customer in 2018. Yeah. So, I mean, three years in, uh, you know, innovation, as we always talk about on this show, you know, it's, you have, it takes you to a vulnerable spot. You got to be, you got to have the courage to move forwards. Even when people are telling you this is not a good idea, you have to get people behind you. You needed money in addition. Uh, I have to assume that your MBA, your time at the University of Toronto at Rotman, had to have helped you in the understanding of the process of being able to become a doctorateur, you know, the entrepreneurial doctor. Yeah, it's a it's a very good thought. I mean, I would say that, you know, having the MBA, I did a specific one at, in Toronto, which is health and life sciences based. I certainly learned a lot of frameworks uh, that are applicable now. I certainly the debate of whether or not you need an MBA to be an entrepreneur, that's certainly a, a big discussion that we can have in a different talk. But there's a lot of information that I learned uh, reading both on my own, as well as being, you know, formally registered in MBA, which I didn't have any exposure to before. And I think it speaks to a bigger problem where, you know, physicians are in the best place to innovate because you see the problems as they are. And if unless you understand the process of how to take something like that to market, I think that's where we kind of lose out a little bit. And it sort of doesn't benefit the patients because it doesn't see, for example, the day of light. But th this is the best kind of innovation. You know, God bless you. We want you to make some money. You put a lot of energy into this and you're going to do well. But at the end of the day, you're providing education and really, you know, changing the paradigm as to how surgeons are learning, which really is, is really so important. So, so Danny Goyle, I can't thank you enough, brother. This was exactly the type of stuff that we love on the Ortho Show, really speaking to people who think outside the box, who are really trying to make a difference on the planet. We really appreciate your time here today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>